To see what God for us has done In sending us His own dear Son The text for the sermon this day is going to be taken from Luke chapter 2. If you're at the services last night, you heard I'm doing things a little backwards. Last night I did the sermon based on today's gospel lesson, and today I'm going to do the sermon based on yesterday's gospel lesson. So, guess I'm, I'm just being a little weird like that. But as a little note, if you notice, that for the gospel lesson, we did what is known as a gospel processional. And the purpose, of the idea of the gospel processional is to symbolize what you read in John where it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's the idea is that the re- reading, the scripture is being read, in other words, the word of God is being read among us. That's the reason. So, and I thought since we're reading that gospel lesson, how more appropriate but anyways, the gospel is going to be taken from Luke 2, which will be read throughout this sermon. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So, the text starts that there is this census. There are details that Luke is giving about Caesar Augustus, about Quirinius, the governor of Syria, to let people know when this happened. If you bring in the Gospel of Matthew, you have the detail of King Herod, which is even more helping to pinpoint when this happened. It's to remind you that this birth of Jesus is not like, you do not read once upon a time, in a land far, far away where Darth Vader was on a Star Destroyer, or whatever. I'm being relevant a little bit there, because it is in movies or theaters right now. No, you read about Caesar Augustus, about Quirinius, real people in history. You read about Bethlehem. You read about Nazareth, Judea, Galilee, all real places. Letting you know that this is not just a cool little story. This is something that really and truly happened. And what is more, it is telling you that our God is being obedient to the government. Because in case you do not know, going from Nazareth to Bethlehem is not very convenient. They were in Nazareth which Nazareth was probably about the size of May City. 
And kind of like May City, it's, a little, it's very much off-road because, I mean, May City, there's no major highways that go through there. If, you go to, if you're going to Milf, Milford, you can see the turn towards the three exits. But there's nobody... In order to take that road through May City, the main reason somebody would take it is maybe they're taking a different route to Hartley or they're going specifically to May City. Nazareth was very much the same way. The only reason people would be in Nazareth is because they were going to Nazareth. They never went through there to go to anywhere else. Bethlehem was a town of about 800 people. So just a little bit bigger than Ochedon. But the distance between the two was more like going from here to probably about Sioux City. So, and this is not when there is an auto, there's no cars. How many people here are from like Sioux Falls or Sioux City by chance? Okay, only one hand. Sorry to embarrass you. <laughs> but, um, but if you think of that distance, Sioux Falls or Sioux City... Imagine if you did not have that vehicle and instead you had to walk or take a donkey. Not so wonderful of a trip. And it's a pretty lengthy trip. The estimates have it that it probably took at least three days. They might have traveled by themselves with a camel. They might have traveled by caravan, not Dodge Caravan, but with a group of people. How they got, the exact details of how they got there is, un, we don't know, but we just know it was a long journey. It was inconvenient, but they did it. And this was a sign of God's obedience. That Jesus would be obedient to the government. To let you know that he did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. The kingdom he came to establish was a different one. And Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, is of significance because that's where David was born. And the town Bethlehem means, as you were, if you were there last night, house of bread. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now I want you to notice, a lot of times if you ever watch like the dramatization, the movie versions of this, usually you see Mary and Joseph knocking on every door like she's going to give birth at any moment. But notice what it says, while they were there. The King James kind of goes very similar language, letting you know that they had been there at least for a few days before she delivered. Which makes what you read in verse 7 a little bit more sobering. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there's no place for them in the inn. Now, that Greek word, inn, is a word that is a little bit confused because when we read the word inn, we usually think of the Holiday Inn, or the Super 8. We think of a hotel. But the Greek word used there is kataluma. 
It does not mean that kind of inn. In fact, the Greek word for inn, like a hotel, is used in the parable of the Good Samaritan. When the man is beaten on the side of the road, the Good Samaritan brings the man that was beaten to an inn to care for his wounds. See, in the time of when the King James was translated, there were, diff- there were two different kinds of inns. There was that kind of inn, but there's also the inn that every house had, or properly called, in our language, a guest room, or, quite literally, upper room. Because this word shows up one more time in the Gospel of Luke, and that's at the Last Supper. Because that's where the Last Supper was, was in the inn, the upper room. Now, he went to Bethlehem, because that was the place of Joseph's ancestry. That means Joseph had relatives there. He had family. The place that they were staying was in the house of family members. Because there was, a, there was a census, and David probably had many ancestors, made pretty many descendants, especially when you figure how many children Solomon probably had with all those wives. But with all those descendants, Bethlehem would have been swarming with people. And so those guest rooms were full, which makes what happened actually worse than a random innkeeper not letting them in. Because it wasn't just some guy like, sorry, we, all the rooms are full, they're booked, you should have gotten here earlier. That's one thing. But in reality, it was family members who were in that guest room. And told him, sorry, we're going to stay here. If you've been more responsible and not gotten pregnant at 15 years old, then you wouldn't be in this situation. I don't know if that's exactly what they said, but they could have. But what we do know is that they were forced to stay where a manger was. Which in modern day equivalent would be like, Forcing someone to stay in the garage. Forcing a teenage pregnant girl to stay in the garage rather than giving up your comfy home, your comfy guest room. That actually makes it a lot worse when you realize family did that. And so from there, I'm actually going to use Martin Luther's ser- famous Christmas Eve sermon. And I don't know if you notice, know this, but a lot of the hymns today are intentionally Reformation or German. Hark the Herald Angels ing- Sing was English. Uh, of the Father's Love Begotten, that is Latin. That was actually the hy- one of the hymns that inspired the Nicene Creed. But... Because we're specifically going with this German motif because in October 31st next year will be the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So I thought a Reformation era Christmas would be very good in that context. So this is what he says. 
He says, when now they were come to Bethlehem, the evangelist says that they were of all the lowest and most despised and must make way for everyone until they were shoved into a stable to make a common lodging and table with the cattle while many cutthroats lounged like lords in the inn. They did not recognize what God was doing in the stable with all their eating, drinking, and finery. God left them empty, and this comfort and treasure treasure was hidden from them. Oh, what a dark night it was in Bethlehem that this light should not have been seen. Thus shows God that he has no regard for what the world is and has and does. And the world shows that it does not know or consider what God is and has and does. Joseph had to do his best. And it may well be that he asked some maid to fetch water or something else. But we do not read that anyone came to help. They heard that a young wife was lying in a cow stall, and no one gave heed. Shame on you, wretched Bethlehem. The inn ought to have burned with brimstone, for even though Mary had been a beggar, maid or unwed, anybody at such a time should have been glad to give her a hand. Now, there are many of you in this congregation who think to yourselves, if only I had been there, how quick I would have been to help the baby. I would have washed his linen. How happy I would have been to go with the shepherds to see the Lord lying in the manger. Yes, you would. You say that because you know how great Christ is. But if you had been there at that time, you would have done no better than the people of Bethlehem. Childish and silly thoughts are these. Why don't you do it now? You have Christ in your neighbor. You ought to serve him. For what you do to your neighbor in need, you do to the Lord Christ himself. The birth was still more pitiable. No one, was reg no one regarded this young wife bringing forth her firstborn. No one took her condition to heart. No one noticed that in a strange place, she had not the very least thing needful in childbirth. There she was, without preparation, no light, no fire, in the dead of night, in the thick darkness. No one came to give the customary assistance. The guests swarming in the inn were carousing and no one attended to this woman. I think myself that Joseph and Mary realized that her time was so close she might perhaps have been left in Nazareth. And now think that she could use for swaddling cloths some garment she could spare. Perhaps her veil, certainly not Joseph's breeches, which are now an exhibition at that's a comment on Roman Catholic at the time. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Why not in a cradle, on a bench, or on the ground? Because they had no cradle, bench, table, board, nor anything whatever except the manger of the oxen. 
That was the first throne of this king. There in a stable, without man or maid, lay the creator of all the world. And there was the maid of 15 years, bringing forth her firstborn without water, fire, light, or pan, a sight for tears. What Mary and Joseph did next, nobody knows. The scholars say they adored. They must have marveled that this child was the son of God. He was also a real human being. Those who say that Mary was not a real mother lose all joy. He was a true baby with flesh, blood, hands, and legs. He slept, cried, and did everything else that a baby does only without sin. Think women or mothers. There was no one there to bathe the baby. No warm water, nor even cold water. No fire, no light. The mother was herself midwife and the maid. The cold manger was the bed and the bathtub. Who showed the poor girl what to do? She had never had a baby before. I am amazed that the little one did not freeze. Do not make of Mary a stone. And let us have gone straight to her heart that she was so abandoned. She was flesh and blood and must have felt miserable. And Joseph too, that she was left on this way, all, on this, in this way, all alone, with no one to help, in a strange land in the middle of winter. Her eyes were moist even though she was happy and aware that the baby was God's son and the savior of the world. She was not stone, for the higher people are in the favor of God, the more tender are they. Mary was not only set apart, she was also the mother of the Lord. With trembling and reverence, before nestling him to herself, she laid him down, because her face said to her, He will be the Son of the Highest. No one else on faith on earth had this faith, not even Joseph. For although he had been informed by the angel of the, the word, did not go to his heart as to the heart of Mary, his mother. Let us then meditate upon the nativity, just as we see it happening in our own babies. I would not have you contemplate the deity of Christ, the majesty of Christ, but rather his flesh. Look upon the baby Jesus. Divinity may terrify man. Inexpressible majesty will crush him. That is why Christ took on our humanity, save for sin, that he should not terrify us, but rather that with love and favor, he should console and confirm. Behold Christ lying in the lap of his young mother, still a virgin. What can be sweeter than the babe? What more lovely than the mother? What fairer than her youth? What more gracious than her virginity? Look at the child knowing nothing, yet all that it is belongs to him, that your conscience should not fear, but take comfort in him. Doubt nothing. 
Watch him springing in the lap of the maiden. Laugh with him. Look upon this Lord of peace, and your spirit will be at peace. See how God invites you in many ways. He places before you a babe with whom you may take refuge. You cannot fear him, for nothing is more appealing to man than a baby. Are you affrighted? Then come to him, lying in the lap of the fairest and sweetest maid. You will see how great is the divine goodness, which seeks above all else that you should not despair. Trust him. Trust him. Here is the child in whom is salvation. To me there is no greater consolation given to mankind than this, that Christ became man, a child, a babe, playing in the lap of his most gracious mother. Who is there whom this sight could not comfort? Now is overcome the power of sin, death, hell, conscience, and guilt. If you come to judge this gurgling baby and believe that he has come not to judge, but to save. Those are the words of the Dr. Martin Luther. And one last, and by the way, so if you've ever heard me say those 15 years, notice Luther agreed with me. But one last little thought. Why in a manger? I talked about this last night. That's a feeding trough for animals. There was no room in the guest room in the upper room. Because he is the bread of life whom you are going to receive in that bread, in that wine. There was no room in the upper room. But if you go all the way to the other end of the Gospel of Luke, you will see that he is not in the manger, but he is in the bread in that upper room. Given for you for the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. To him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue by singing verses 8 through 15 of 358.